0: This morning we start a brand new series, uh, a series that just kind of creatively titled So You're Dead Now What? And uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you're excited or not excited about that, but uh, we're going to talk about it anyways. But I had a friend send me an article this past week uh, I just want to read you a portion of, just simply titled World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. Here's how it goes. World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday in Geneva, Switzerland, at the group's finding that despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. Death, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life's functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern, responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide. The condition has no cure. I was really hoping that with all of these radiology treatments, rescue helicopters, aerobics, TV shows, and what have you, that we might at least make a dent in it this year. World Health Organization Director General Dr. Gernst Blott said, unfortunately, it would appear that the death rate remains constant and total as it has inviolably since the dawn of time. Many are suggesting that the high mortality rate represents a massive failure on the part of the planet's health care workers. Those who suffer from death can be highly traumatized by it, often so severely that it kills them, noted therapist Eli Vosserbaum said. Everybody talks about death, Senator Pete Dominici, Republican from New Mexico said, but nobody seems to be actually doing anything about it. I propose we stop mollycoddling death, not to mention the multi-billion dollar hospital, mortuary, funeral, and burial industries that are reaping huge profits from it. Under Dominici's new bill, all federal funds would be withheld from the medical industry until it gets serious and starts cracking down on death. Consumer rights advocate and staunch anti-death activist Ralph Nader agreed with Domenici. Why should we continue to spend billions of dollars a year on a healthcare care industry whose sole purpose it is to keep people alive, only to find once again that death awaits us all? Nader said in an impassioned address, to several suburban Californians. And that just made me laugh when I read that. Uh, That's called a 0% return on your investment, and that's not fair. It's time the paying customers stood up to the HMOs and the so-called medical healthcare professionals and said, enough is enough. I'm paying through the nose here, and I don't want to die anymore. Yeah, people didn't really laugh at it too hard in the first service either. So remember, everything you read on the Internet is true. Well, this morning we're starting a brand-new series called So You're Dead... Now what? And I know that it sort of has a a little bit of a humorous ring to it, but I don't want you to think that in any way we're trying to make light of what can be a a pretty sensitive subject, and, and it is a serious subject. You know, death is a serious subject, and if you're here this morning and this is your first time, um, you kind of are just jumping right in the deep end of it all with you or with us. And and we just want you to know that at Genesis we like to talk about relevant issues. You know, things that really affect people, and this is something that that really affects people. Just a couple of weeks ago, I, I lost my aunt. She was 51 years old, a 10-year battle with cancer, and my mom's baby sister, and, and my dad and I, we, we did the funeral together, and, and it was just a reminder that we all face it. And, and that was part of the message that I preached to you know, family and friends that were there that day, that every one of us has to confront the reality of the fact that you know, you're going to die, that, that people are going to die. And so over the next few weeks, We're going to talk about death and and we're even going to spend some time talking about heaven and hell. And please know that it's not my goal to simply share some opinions with you that I hope you buy into, that I can somehow convince you of what I think. No, my goal is, is to go to the Bible and to look at what the Bible has to say about the topic of death and heaven and hell. I believe that that's part of my responsibility as your pastor. I, I believe that the Bible is God's authority for us. I believe that it is His Word and that we can look to God's Word to see what it has to say about death and the afterlife. And, and so today we're going to start off, and I, I'm just going to kind of lay out some basics for you. And then next week we're going to spend some time talking about hell, and then in a couple of weeks we're going to spend some time talking about heaven. But this morning we, spent, we start with death. And, and I want to start this morning by, by sharing with you kind of a foundational truth, a, a thread that I think really ties this whole series together, and it's our starting place, and it's pretty important, and it's so important that I, that I think you ought to write it down, and if you take notes, write this down. If you don't take notes, maybe write this down or at least try to remember about it, but it, but it is kind of our tying thread to the whole series, and it's this. What you believe about death and eternity will have a lot to do with how you live today, Let me say it again, what you choose to believe about death and eternity will have a lot to do with how you live today. Whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you're a seeker or you're really not interested in any of it right now, what you believe about death will have a lot to do with how you live today, whether you like it or not. I was eating lunch with a guy the other day and I came out from eating lunch and got in my car and looked at the car across from me that was parked in the parking lot there and there was a bumper sticker on that car that just simply said this, Jesus is coming back soon, look busy. And you know, it's just kind of a sad reality of what some people think today and you know what people believe and and so, you know, everyone has this differing opinion about Jesus and, and death and the afterlife and so let's just consider a few of them. Atheists. Okay, atheists do not believe in god They believe that death will be the end of it all that you'll die and it will be all over that There's no eternity you get a box You get a plot of ground and 50 years after you die. No one will ever remember who you are or what you did on this earth And so there's really no motivation to live to the end Some people believe in purgatory They believe that there is a place that you can go to when you die And that others still living on the earth can pray you out of purgatory so that you might go to heaven. Islam teaches that in the end, Allah will judge the works of you and all of those who have gone before you. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get to go to paradise. But if it's the other way around, if your bad outweighs your good, then you go to hell. Some people believe that when you die, you become an angel. And it's usually those kind of people, I think, that have those posters, you know, in their house of those fat little naked babies with like halos over their head and they're playing a saxophone or something. You know, I sure hope that, that when we go to heaven, we just don't become angels and hang out around the clouds. And we're going to kind of break that down in a couple of weeks and show you that that isn't the case. But some people believe that way. Uh, one in five adults today, according to a recent study, one in five adults believe in reincarnation. They think that if you've been really good, you come back as some sort of higher life form after you die. If you're really bad, you come back like as a mosquito or a cockroach or something like that. Uh, One recent study said that 34% of people believe that it is possible to communicate with the dead. And so there are a number of differing beliefs about death and what comes with death and such. But the bottom and so the bottom line is that there are these number of opinions. But my hope is that we can get this right, that we can go to God's word to see what God's word has to say about death and the afterlife and that maybe it'll change the way we live. And so let's do that. Let's go to the Bible right now to better understand what the Bible has to say about this subject. And let's just point out from the very beginning that some things are absolutely clear and some things are a little bit more difficult to comprehend. And so we'll start with some of the easy ones first. Let's go to the one thing that I think we can all agree upon from the very beginning, and it's this. We know beyond any doubt that death is certain. That death is certain. As studies are conclusive, 100% of people die. You know, a recent study said one in one people in the world die today. You and I are going to die. And unless you're a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus comes back before you die, then you are going to die. And I'm going to die. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. The writer here says, Just as man is destined to die, meaning death is certain, that every single one of us dies, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those, to everyone. No, it doesn't say that. But what does it say? It said, he will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him that he will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So let's just kind of see what we know from this verse. Again, it says, according to Scripture, that every one of us is destined to die. And after we die, according to Hebrews, what's it say? And after that, 2 face judgment. Now, what happens at that judgment will depend on what you do with Jesus during your lifetime. And we'll talk about that again in a couple of minutes. But let's just spend some time thinking about why is Jesus... So important to your eternal destiny or to my eternal destiny. Well, it basically looks like this. Every single one of us is sinners. We're sinners. And the Bible teaches us that we were born with a sin nature. That we were born with this stain or this inherited sin on our life that separates us from a holy God. But here's the good news. And this news is why we exist as a church today. The good news is that because God was so crazy... About you and me as people, that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus came into this world. He was born of a a virgin woman, therefore not inheriting this sin nature or this stain. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then, as we all know, Jesus went to the cross. He shed his innocent blood on that cross and he died for you and me. But the best part of it all is that he didn't stay dead, that Jesus conquered the cross. You know, this, like the songs that we sing. You know, sing "Death was vanquished on the third day, the day we call Easter." Jesus rose from the dead, and because of his perfect sacrifice. Remember, Hebrews says again: so Christ was sacrificed once; he was the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of so many. When we believe, when we believe in Jesus, and when we put our faith in him, that we are made right. The Bible says that God calls us righteous that God adopts us into his family and by our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made one of his. In fact, scripture says that anyone, that anyone, and that includes you no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how dark your past may look, no matter how many times you've messed up, even in your life right now, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ and surrenders their life to him will be saved. That is a guarantee that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. And so here's kind of what I believe. And you can call it crazy if you want to. But I believe that some of you are here this morning by divine destiny. I believe that God was preparing you for this moment in this room this morning. And maybe even today, you're going to turn from your sins and you're going to turn to God and you're going to put your trust in Jesus Christ and you will never, ever be the same again. I can promise you that your sins will be forgiven and they will be removed from you. The Bible says, as far as the East is from the West, that you will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That you will be able to pray to God and He will hear from you. That you will be able to discern God's voice. That you will be able to pick up the Bible and to read it. And, to, and, and to, it will come alive inside of you. And that your name will be recorded in the book of life. And that your name will never be erased. And now the best part, and here's what it means, that you will live forever. That's the best part about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is that you will live forever. I mean, what does that mean for down the road? It means that one day you'll die, you'll die your physical death, but you will not die eternally. And you will live with God and you'll live with other followers of Jesus Christ in heaven. And that, my friends, is the good news. And that's why we exist as a church today. And so what do we know right here from the very beginning as we start? We know when we establish that we all believe that death is certain, that every one of us is gonna face death. The second thing that I think we can all acknowledge, or at least that I want to show you this morning, is that the soul and the body separate at death. The soul and the body separate at death, meaning you are not your body. Uh, Your body is just skin and flesh. You know, my body here is just a shell for me. You know, the Bible teaches that your body is really just like a tent. It's like an outer covering to the real you. And I know some of you right now are like, amen to that, brother, because I've been trying to shed this 20-pound spare tire, you know, for a long time now, or, you know, for 20 years now. Well, it's not your body. You get a new body one day, and you don't have to worry about it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, you know, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, the physical body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, and he's speaking here of Satan, who can destroy both soul and body. That Satan is the only one who can destroy both the soul and the body. And so Jesus points out here that there are two different things that make up who we are. There are two different things that make up who we are. There's our soul, and there is our body, and that every single one of us has both. And one day, when you die, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be as alive as you have ever been. I mean, someone will be making funeral arrangements for you and somebody will be making fruit salad or something, but you'll still be alive. You know, you won't be dead. You remember the movie Groundhog Day? Okay. You remember the gr- movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? You know, Bill Murray was that television reporter and he was kind of in a bad place in life, you know, not doing well and not really enjoying his job. And he gets assigned to the story to cover Groundhog's Day and Punxsutawney. Pennsylvania. And he doesn't want to be there. And he gets there. And I mean, he's ruining everybody else's day. And then there's the snowstorm approaching. So they get stuck in Punxsutawney. And if you've seen the story, you know that every night he goes to bed, but he only again wakes up to the same day every day. and It's the same song on the radio, the same people, the same interactions. And it's just this ongoing nightmare that he just keeps waking up to every single day, the exact same morning. And he finally discovers that he's immortal. mortal that he's not going to die. And so he's sitting in the bathtub one day and he drops the toaster in there with him and he drives his car off of a cliff one day because he knows he's not going to die. He's going to be alive forever. Well, I bet you didn't know that there's some eternal truth, you know, in that film. And that is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, you're not going to wake up to the same day, day in and day out, but you will live forever. And Jesus taught that in John chapter 11, verses 25 and six. He says, hey, he who believes in me will live forever even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will what? Never die. He who lives and believes in me will never die. So what do we know? We know and we've established that death is certain. We know and establish that the body and the soul separate at death. You know, that our body stays in the ground. It becomes a part of the dirt for a period of time. And that our soul goes to heaven. Let's look at the last thing. For every single one of us, and that is number three, we know that eventually we will all face a judgment. You know, Hebrews talks about that again, you know, when it says, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That means that one day, every single one of us, you know, whether we're follower of Jesus Christ or not, is going to stand before a God. And we will know if we've never believed that at that moment that God was real, that God is real. And I don't know about you, but the thought of being judged by God is a little frightening, a little terrifying, a little terrifying. That after you die, you will face a judgment. And it's infinitely more important, important than any judgment that you and I will ever face on this earth. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about judgment and there are some differing opinions on what actually takes place at the judgment. And so I'm going to show you what most conservative scholars believe about the judgment. And I'll tell you that I agree with these beliefs, that I believe that after death, that the Bible teaches that there will be two different judgments, Okay, that after death, there would be two different judgments. And let me just break down both of those for you. The first one is this. The first is known as the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. Most people agree, and don't miss this, that followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, will never see this judgment. That if you made a decision for Jesus Christ in your lifetime, and one day you die and go to heaven, you won't see the great white throne judgment. That it's not for believers. Okay, Revelation chapter 20. Verses, uh, beginning at verse 11. Let me read a few verses for you here. It says, John, and let me just have a, John is writing this, and he was given a glimpse of what the end times looked like, and then was able to record these words for you and me. J- Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. John writes, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. This is God. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now notice these verses say that the dead will be judged according to what they had done. They were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. Now we'll get there in a second. Verse 15 It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire so what do we know we know that dead people are at this great white throne judgment and that the book of life will be there along with other books that revelation seems to address and that these other books will contain our deeds that these other books will contain our good works and these other books will contain our sins yikes you know a little pointing out there But if your name is not found written in the book of life, meaning you never put your trust in Jesus Christ while you were living, if only those who give their life to Christ will have their name written in this book of life, those who do not put their trust in Jesus Christ will be at this judgment and you will be judged according to your works. And so the question kind of becomes at that moment, were you good enough to qualify yourself for heaven based solely on just the good things that you did on earth? Well, there's a problem with that. Because the Bible teaches us that you cannot qualify for heaven. There is nothing that you can do in your own power with good works that will ever qualify you for God's love and God's grace. Now, I know that that can sort of be frightening, but I hope that that can sort of be encouraging too. That you don't have to try and measure yourself up for God. You know, the Bible tells us that no one qualifies themselves for heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's impossible. But instead, the Bible teaches that we are saved with a gift, that you and I are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 kind of spells this out most clearly when the Apostle Paul's writing. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. You know, when you believe that God's grace is extended to you, and notice what he says, and very pointedly, and this not from yourselves. You know, it's not something that you do. It's God's grace that comes over you that saves you. It is the gift of God. And notice this, not by works. You know, works do not earn you this salvation so that no one can boast. That God's love for us, that God's gift of salvation, of, of his saving love for every one of us, it is a gift from him for those who believe in him, not do great things. So if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, meaning you didn't give your life to Jesus Christ while on earth, then you will be judged by works. And everyone who is judged by works, whose name is not written in the book of life, won't make it. Because you can't qualify yourself for heaven. And Revelation is very clear here when it says, and they will be thrown to the lake of fire. That's everlasting destruction. Or maybe just a safer way of saying hell. And hell is a separation from God. And I believe that the Bible teaches that hell is a very real place. It's just as real as heaven. And we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. And so this great white throne judgment is not a place you want to be. All right? You don't want an invitation to this party. All right, you want to go to another party, the one that I'm going to talk to you about. You want to have your name in the book of life. And let's look at this next one, because the Bible teaches that there's another judgment. And the second one is known as the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible's clear that the judgment seat of Christ is for followers of Jesus. That at death, those who don't know Christ will go to the great white throne judgment, but followers of, of Jesus will go to this judgment seat of Christ. And it's at the seat of Christ you won't let me say at the seat of Christ, you won't be judged on whether you get into heaven or not. That's already taken care of, because when you were living on this earth and you put your trust in Jesus and maybe said that prayer and you were baptized, your eternal destiny was secured and taken care of at that moment. So when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, it's not whether we get into heaven, but it's something else. Instead, there's something else that happens at the judgment. It's it's something that I think most of us have missed or maybe even never been taught. But it's here at the judgment seat of Christ that followers of Jesus will be judged on our works while on the earth. Now, what does that mean? Again, not to see if we qualify for God's love or for heaven or not. Jesus took care of that. You can't earn your way to heaven. But here's what the Bible does teach. The Bible teaches that our works on earth as followers of Jesus will, will lend itself to rewards or, award, or, or awards in heaven. And maybe those aren't the best words. But let me me show you a couple of scripture that kind of point this out for us. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Paul's writing here to these Christians. And he says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? Now notice this last part here. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Okay, even the believers, even the followers of Jesus will stand before God's judgment seat. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 for we must all, and, and he's writing here to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, meaning while living on the earth, whether good or bad. And so Second Corinthians is clear that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, to see if we get into heaven, absolutely not. Remember, that's determined on earth. But this judgment will determine what each follower receives according to what they did on earth. Let's look at it this way. Just a couple of months ago, the North Carolina Tar Heels won the NCAA basketball championship. And whether you like the North Carolina Tar Heels or not, just hang with me because I hope it just proves something. But they won the national championship, the highest award in all of men's NCAA basketball, this coveted award, the entire team, the entire coaching staff. But at the end of the season, after the championship, like most other college basketball programs, the North Carolina Tar Heels had their own awards banquet. And so all of the players would come and all the families would come. And it's at that awards banquet that the team would recognize and award certain people for their accomplishments on that particular basketball team. And so somebody received the most valuable player award, you know, for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Somebody received the defensive award, defensive player of the year award. Somebody received an award for the most charges taken. Somebody received the award for the best free throw percentage or the best three point percentage. And then there was probably even like the the team spirit award, you know, and that's an award like I would have gotten in high school because it means you didn't play. You sit at the end of the bench, but everybody likes you on the team. So you get the team spirit award. But somebody probably gets that on North Carolina's team. But here's the point. Everyone shares in the greatest accomplishment of all. We won the national championship and in some way or another, we were all a part of it. But even amongst that championship, there are people on the team who will be recognized for their accomplishments you know, as a part of that winning team. The judgment seat of Christ is kind of like that. You know, followers of Jesus will stand before him one day and we, every single one of us, will be rewarded and recognized for the work that we did here while on the earth. Everyone. Everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. You know, for good works, for, for time given, for, for love given, for grace extended, for mercy shown, for forgiveness shown to others. You know, how did you best live like Jesus while you were on the earth? You know, every act, every deed recorded, we will be honored for the work that we've done. Now, I don't know if that encourages you or not. You know, I mean, if you're serving, I hope that it just kind of points out that you do not serve in vain. You know, that you're serving for the glory of God and for His work that He's doing on this earth. But I think it could also kind of frighten some of us as followers of Jesus, especially if, you know, you know, I kind of take my faith for granted at times or I kind of get caught up in my own little world and and don't really think about the fact that there are greater things happening around me. You know, when I was 12 years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I put my trust in him. I was baptized. And and I believe that Jesus has been changing me and transforming me, you know, ever since that day. And god called me into full-time ministry and and I responded to this call and i've offered my life To him as a servant, you know to my family and to the people around me and to this church And I don't always serve as I should And sometimes I serve for the wrong reasons and and fortunately god is patient with me I mean he's patient with you know with, with even this guy here But everything I do or everything I do should be for god's glory And for you too you know, I mean, there will, be a, there will be honor given to everyone regardless of whether you gave your life to full-time ministry or not. God will recognize the works that we all do. And, and, and you may not be called into full-time vocational ministry, but you're called to a life of full-time ministry. I mean, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're putting our arms around that. We're saying, you know, I believe in this so much that it has changed my life and that it can change others. You know, God has called us to go and be the disciples to all people of this world, everyone we come into contact with you know so your family or your neighborhood you know at your work on your team in your school i mean if you're a follower of jesus you are a disciple and each one of us has been called to share the good news of jesus christ with everyone that we come in contact with again the bible teaches here in second corinthians 5:10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad Now, I don't believe that in any way our pride should motivate us, you know, to see, you know, how many times we can glorify ourselves here on this earth so that we get something in heaven. That's not what it's about. That's not what this scripture is saying at all whatsoever. And I don't want to give that wrong impression. But it's about saying, you know, I believe in this so much it's changing who I am that others have to see it too. I mean, God will reward us for the work that we do for him while we are here on this earth. So imagine this. Okay, and just try and paint this picture in your head if you can. You're in heaven one day. And you see Jesus for the first time. Imagine what that moment will be like. And your eyes meet his. And I think it'll be in that moment that we'll, for the first time in our life, fully comprehend his love for us. And I don't even think it'll have to even be communicated in words. It'll just be in the look. And we'll see how great his sacrifice is. And we'll see how great his love is and what his death was like and why he did it. And I think our only reaction will be to fall on our face. And we'll want to worship him forever, not for just 20 minutes, but like forever. We'll want to worship Christ for who he is. But then I think Jesus will come over to us. And I think he might do something like this. And just go with me if you would. I think he'll kind of get us up off the ground and he may dust us off a little bit and he'll look us in the face. And he might stand us up and say something. Do you know Do you have any idea at all how proud I am of you? I'm so pleased with you. I know your life was hard. I know it hurt when you lost your mother. I know your marriage and your family life was so tough. I know you spent your entire life searching for significance in your work. But you did give up. And get this, I think Jesus may say something like, Well done, good and faithful servant well done. And I think it'll be hard to hear that. I I think it'll really be hard to comprehend what that means. And, And I think we will be so humbled in that moment and, and we'll feel so unworthy of his praise. And then I think Jesus one by one, will just start speaking out things to us, reminding us of all of the good things that we did for him while on the earth. And you might say, what, I mean, what have I done? You know, that's worth noting in heaven. And Jesus will just start talking and he'll say, get this. Remember that time when your neighbor lost her mom? Do you remember that time? And that family was so devastated because they never saw it coming. And that family had to pack up so quickly and get their things together and rush out of town to be with the rest of the family. And your family, you remember what you did in that moment? You went over that week and you mowed that family's yard. They never even asked you. And you got their newspaper every day, and you got their mail, and you left some flowers. And when they came back, you asked and would not receive anything in return. But when you did it, I saw it. And I took note of it. And when you did that, you really were doing it for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or remember this, remember that time, Jesus might look in your eyes and say, when your family, you didn't have that much money, and you lost your job and the kids got sick, but you didn't give up. You and your wife, you stuck together and you just kept trusting me. And you may not realize this or not. And even as young as your kids were at that time, you left a huge impression on their lives because you stuck together and you kept trusting in me. And they were changed forever because of that. And they realized the value of trusting God and they realized the value of family. And they were greater parents because of that. And when you did it, I saw it and I took note of it. And when you did that, you really did it for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or remember how hard it was for you over and over again to learn that you couldn't get pregnant. And I know it hurt you and your wife so bad. And I hurt for you too. But remember that time you were able to reach out to that young couple who was going through the same thing. And you made a big difference in their lives that day. You surrounded them and said, we'd love to pray for you. That God would give you the strength to get through this And when you prayed that prayer for them I saw and I heard every single word of it and when you did it you were really doing it for me Well done good and faithful servant Or remember that time your friends all singled out that one guy at school for being different And he was really having a rough time But you wouldn't have any part of it and so you kind of reached out to that guy And you said you know what i'm going to be different in this and you talked to him and no one else would When you did that, I saw it. And when you did that, you really were doing it for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or I think God may even look some of you in the eyes and he might say something like this. You remember that time they started that new church? I think they called it Genesis or something. And somebody invited you be a part of it and you said, yeah, we'll go be a part of it. And and you had no idea what you were getting into or what you were signing yourself up for. You know, if somebody made the invite, you agreed to go to help people find their way back to God in Hamilton County. And remember how you loaded and unloaded the speakers in and out of that stupid trailer every single weekend. You know, no matter how hot it was or how hard the wind was blowing or how cold it was outside. And you carried those speakers in and you carried those chairs in and you set them up and you tore them down weekend and week out every single weekend. And it, it messed up your weekend every single every single month. And when they spoke up and they started talking about the need for more volunteers in the Gen Kids ministry, you knew you didn't do the kids thing, but they needed the help. And so you did it anyways. And when they talked about the need for money again, you sacrificed and you gave what you believed God had already given you and that God was going to do something special in that church. So you bought into it. And even through the ups and downs, you kept going. And even as people came and went, you kept going because you believed that beyond anything, God had called you to that church for a special reason and that God was going to do something awesome in that congregation. And so guess what Jesus might say? With every speaker that you carried, with every nose that you wiped, with every cup of coffee that you served, with every hand that you shook, I saw every single bit of it. And when you did that, you were really doing it for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I know that many of you know and love jeff and kim smith and their family and, and jeff was the lead pastor of genesis church before i came <clears throat> he left a little over a year ago and and when he came to genesis a few years ago uh, he came and, and from what i understand was really honest about one thing and jeff and kim believed and they knew that god was eventually going to call them to go back to west plains missouri uh, west plains missouri is jeff's hometown a small rural town uh, in the nowhere of missouri and they believed that God had called them to plant a church there and it was really only a matter of time. And so a little over a year ago, uh, Jeff stood up on this stage and I remember listening to that talk online before I even came here to be with you. And, and maybe you remember that talk and, and just poured out his heart and cried about how they couldn't say no any longer. Like God was saying, it is time to go and it is time to go now. And it was, it was hard as it was for Jeff and Kim and their family to leave. And as hard as it was for you guys to let them go, they went. And we trusted that this is what God was calling them to do. And not only did you let them go, but this church, you, you supported them financially. When you gave money in the offering, it went to support Jeff and Kim in this new ministry in Missouri. Uh, You prayed for them. And we gave those stupid trailers to them because they're setting up and tearing down every week. And for those of you that know Jeff know that he wasn't really fond of that. But that's what they're doing right now. And so they've got this brand new church. It started just a couple of, of months ago in this nowhere town of Missouri. I received a video this past week. I know that some of you did too, and I, I thought you might like to see it. Get this, just a few weeks ago, this Genesis Church in West Plains, Missouri, 269 people gathered at the city pool of this small town and Genesis West Plains baptized 23 people. I think we can clap for that. Watch this. I think we can clap for that again, can So I think Jesus might even look some of you inside, you know, this church and say, that's your story right there. And I think it's possible that Jesus might even say, I I want to introduce you to some people now and maybe walk us to another place, maybe even into a stadium and maybe you'll meet those 23 people. But there might be a stadium full of people that he'll just say, you have no idea how that person went and touched that life, who touched that life, that touched that life. And all of these people are here today because of what you did. Well done good and faithful servant. Paul writes, Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, what you believe about death and eternity will have a lot to do with how you live on this earth. You know, for followers of Jesus, for Genesis Church, let's be encouraged in this. I mean, don't give up hope. I mean, God has called us to be the salt of the world, to be the light of the world, and all that we do in the name of Jesus counts. It all matters. It all adds up. up, and, And not for our personal rewards, but it is for God and it's for His glory. And our mission as a church is to help people find their way back to God, and that won't be our mission until it's your own personal mission too. You know, so who's God put in your life? What conversation do you need to have? You know, with who do you need to show Christ's love? Or or maybe you're here today, and for some reason, some crazy reason, this just all seems in some weird way to be making sense to you. And you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ before. And so why wait? I mean, why would you wait any longer? I mean, the great thing about each of the people baptized in this video is they're not afraid of death anymore, or they shouldn't be. Because they now have eternal life and they'll live forever and they gave their life to, lives to Jesus and you can too. And so I want to invite you today. I mean, we're going to sing a song here in just a second. Then when that song's over, we're going to have a group of people up front here. I'll be up here. Our response team will be here. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ or just would like to talk with somebody a little bit more to see what that means you know, in a non-threatening way, we'd love to sit down with you and just share with you a little bit or just pray about some of the things that are going on in your life right now. Or, or maybe you just say, you know, hey, I've got a friend who really needs to know Christ or a spouse or a family member and come and, and just be with some friends and, and be prayed with today. Or maybe you'd like to be baptized, kind of like the people in that video. I, I think it's only appropriate that after this series on, on Sunday, July the 12th, we're going to do baptisms again. And if you know that it's time for you to be baptized, Uh, Come up front afterwards and and meet one of our response team members and talk about what it means to be baptized. And we would love to baptize you on that day. Uh, But don't put it off. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that even in the middle of a tough topic and a tough conversation, that the greatest news of all is that you've provided a way out through your son, Jesus Christ. And because of his death and his sacrifice, we don't have to worry about life or death or anything, Lord. We can put our trust in you. And you've promised that you'll give us the strength to live for you each day. God, I pray that we wouldn't delay. God, I pray that we'd be reminded of the power of Jesus Christ and what his death has meant for all of us. And it's his name we pray. Amen.